everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. I would invite everyone to open up their Bibles to Luke chapter 2. This is one of the most familiar passages, especially if you've ever watched the old Charlie Brown Christmas. But we're going to be looking at it at a slightly different angle this morning. And I was realizing I, I really am drawn to non-traditional Christmas series. So last year, do you remember what we were talking about? Star Wars? No. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think it was last year. We did a Revelation series at Christmas time. We've done, we've done series on the Holy Spirit as well as the more traditional, you know, hope, peace, joy, love type of series. But this has been a series on worship. I, I think it's been really rich. I wish that we had an extra week of Advent. You know, Christmas Eve falling on a Sunday almost takes away a whole week of preparation, not just to buy presents, but to orient our hearts to Jesus' birth. Uh, the coming of our King and of our Messiah. And so we've been looking at different um, aspects of worship as far as the vineyard's values goes by looking at four different H's, the hunger that we have in worship, the humility, which we talked about last week, that we bring to worship. Today we'll be talking about the humanness, like we come as humans uh, with limits, with weaknesses, with shame, with sin, uh, into the worship space to meet with God. Like we bring our, our, our selves into worship. And then uh, next week on Christmas Eve, we'll be talking about how in worship we find a home. And so as we read through this passage, keep an eye open for the ways that the shepherds worship and how they respond to this newborn King. So if you guys wouldn't mind standing as I read this passage, we stand because we trust the words of the Bible as God's word, but also to honor the one who wants to reveal himself to us through these words. And so Luke chapter 2, on, we'll start at verse 6. And while they were there, there being Bethlehem and they being Joseph and Mary, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them and they were terrified. Right, very human response. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Now suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven. Gloria in excelsis Deo, which we just sang. And peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. 
When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So pray with me. God, we ask that you would send your spirit here to meet with us, to restore us, to strengthen us, to teach us, to correct us, to draw us into deeper relationship with you, and to enliven our worship. Be our teacher today, God, as we reflect on what worship is and your words from this passage. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Three basic things I want to impress uh, upon us today as we walk through this passage and meditate on what worship is. Uh, The first is that we come as we are. The second is that we come embodied. In other words, like we bring our actual bodies into the place of worship. And the third thing is that we come with open hearts. Like we we want to come when we worship and bring what is in our heart to God uh, in, in intimacy. And so um, I just I want to first say that I think that Matthew is doing something pretty clever here. He might actually, or sorry, Luke. Luke is the one writing this. Matthew was last week. Uh, because in Matthew's gospel, you have these three wise men coming to worship Jesus. And in Luke, you have these wise guys coming to worship Jesus. And I say that because I grew up on a farm. My dad was a farmer. My friends were farmers. Uh, so if you, if you know some people in the agricultural line of work, are, are they wise guys? Typically, typically yes, I'm getting an, an affirmation from somebody who knows a little bit about that. Um, but I also, okay, so I grew up in a farmhouse, and in Iowa, maybe it's a little different than here, but as you walked, there was, walked to the house, there's always two doors, okay, one to the main level and one to the basement. You could get direct access to the basement from the outside. I'm not talking sliding doors. That's not how these houses were built. I'm talking like a door down steps into the basement. You want to know why that was there? It was not for a fire escape. And uh, you could still get to the basement from the inside. So it wasn't for tornadoes either, although we ended up in the basement a few times. Uh, I'm, well, we did, in, in Iowa at that time, we had farm uh, crops as well as hogs, cows. So like, think poly farm. Uh, dirty laundry. Actually, that's close. Dirty farmers. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> because the moms and the wives didn't want the farmers coming in smelling like, <clears throat> you know, I mean, if, if you've ever smelled a farmer, they don't even have to be working in manure to smell like manure. And so you, ha- you, the, you weren't allowed in the kitchen, you weren't allowed in the living room, you weren't allowed in the main bathroom before you first went downstairs and took a shower in that space so that your smell would stay there. 
Now, here we have shepherds coming in from the fields into a stable. I feel like the smell actually got worse as they walked in. And I'm not saying this to like put farmers down at all. I'm just saying like there's a contrast here. Matthew is making a point, maybe to show you how the wise men probably came in very fancy clothes with very fancy treasures and gifts and the, the shepherds came in out of the fields. They didn't take a bath first. They came in perhaps with a few of their lambs. Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. They came in in their work clothes. And they're coming in not to just any any old stable. Angels had appeared to them and said, here you will find your king. And the, the message to Mary from the angel prior to this conception even is that uh, this is in chapter 1, verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replies, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the baby will be born But the baby born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Now, try to wrap your mind around this. For all of Israel's history, to go into the presence of God meant that you walked into a temple or the tabernacle before the temple, and God lived on the other side of a curtain. His presence was, like, especially you know, saturated behind this curtain in what was called the Holy of Holies. That's where God lived. Inside of the Holy of Holies, there was this Ark of the Covenant. You know what it looks like because you've watched Indiana Jones, probably. It didn't probably actually look that much like that. But that wasn't, God didn't live inside the Ark. That was considered the mercy seat. This God, like kind of in the imaginations of people, God sat on top of the Ark as a stool or as a throne, as a seat. And now, where is God's presence concentrated? In a stable. Because Jesus, God's son, has just been born there. The new Holy of Holies, at the time of the birth of Jesus, is concentrated in this baby. And the shepherds come in from their fields into a room where the Holy One is sleeping or crying or babbling or whatever. I mean, babies, newborns don't babble. Speech pathologists would tell you that, but, right, they coo. Now, what's that? They scream. They They mostly scream. (laughs) The drummer boy would have been turned around and shown the door. (laughs) Get out of here. Okay. Contrast this. In Leviticus 16, you know what the high, the high priest had to do to go into the Holy of Holies? It, it explains it. Uh, and it, it, this is coming in context because Aaron's, uh, I believe it's Aaron's two sons had just fallen dead because they lit, the, like a, they did it wrong, right? So the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's sons who died after they entered the Lord's presence and burned the wrong kind of fire before him. The Lord said to Moses, warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he 
chooses. If he does, he will die. So high priest could go in to the Holy of Holies once a year. You guys know when that was? Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. Not whenever you please. Once a year, the highest level priest could go into the Holy of Holies, but not without doing these things. It says, for the ark's cover is the place of atonement. It is there, and I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. When Aaron enters the sanctuary, he must follow these instructions fully. He must bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He must put on his linen tunic, so he's got special clothes, and the linen undergarments worn next to his body. He must tie the linen sash around his waist and put the linen turban on his head. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe in water before he puts them on. Okay, I don't know if Luke is actually making a reference to the smell of the shepherds. But here's the point. In order to go into the Holy of Holies in the temple, you had to first make sure you were right before God. You had to make sure that you were ceremonially or ritually clean. You had a special pair of clothes that you only wore on that one day. And this one guy could go in after he took a bath. And now, in this new reality, on Christmas Day, shepherds come in from the fields, covered in dirt and grime. They haven't confessed any of their sins, at least not yet. They come in with their, their weakness, their brokenness, their shame, and their smell. And they enter the presence of God. And they don't die. Actually, just the opposite. There's like this life that flows into them. They run out and start telling people, and everyone is astonished. And they say, and Luke 2 says, they, they leave uh, glorifying and praising God. And so their response to this experience is like worship of Almighty God. And I guess what I want to do for the rest of this time is try to unpack what it means to praise and glorify God from our place of humanity. We come as we are. We come with our limitations. We come just as the shepherds did, needing a Savior. And in response to that Savior, we, we turn our lives over to him. We share the good news and we worship. And so I wish that there was a John Wimber video. I know that some of the kids also prefer when there are videos and not just me talking, but I, I couldn't find a video of him sharing uh, this concept or uh, around these topics, so I found an article that he wrote um, many years ago. John Wimber was foundational in the founding of the Vineyard Movement. And so he says, he says this. This is what worship is. Worship is the act of freely giving love to God. It forms and informs every activity of the Christian life. What is worship? Can you go back again? It's the act of freely giving love to God. It forms and informs every act of the Christian life. This is what's defining the shepherds from this moment forward, their experience of God and the worship of God going out. Go ahead. Our heart's desire should be to worship God. We have been designed by God for this purpose. If we don't worship God, we'll worship something or someone else. And just as, a, as an aside here, we become like what we worship. So whatever we're ascribing value to, whatever we're praising, whatever we're declaring our love to, that's going to have a reciprocal effect and inform 
how our heart is wired and who we become. So again, if, we're, if we spend all our time praising football players or business entrepreneurs, that's going to shape something about who we are and who we're becoming. Okay? If we don't worship God, we'll worship something or someone else. But how should we worship God? Now, there are various ways described in the Old Testament and New Testament, and so he lists three here. Confession. It's the acknowledgement of sin and guilt to a holy and righteous God. So one of the ways we worship is confession. Thanksgiving. Oh, go back. You're okay. Back. There we go. Thanksgiving. Giving thanks to God. Oh, I'm sorry. That's a lowercase. I copied and pasted that. For what he has done, especially for his works of creation and salvation. Adoration. Praising God simply for who he is. Lord of the universe. And... Uh, We'll just, yeah. Worship involves not only our thought and intellect, but also our body. Seen through the Bible are such forms of prayer and praise as singing, playing musical instruments, dancing, kneeling, bowing down, lifting hands, and so on. And so we come as we are. We come with our bodies. So one of the ways that we respond to worship or actually just simply show that we are in a posture of worship is to engage our bodies. And so I will just say, sometimes when I kneel, if I kneel, it's because I'm feeling like God has come close and I'm just oriented to the fact that his presence is here. And sometimes I kneel because I need my heart to catch up with what I know is true. And so I kneel so that I can enter into a better space of worship. I think, I think that's authentic either way. <laughs> um, and so whether it's raising a hand or clapping your hands or, uh, you know, it's what, John Wimber will get in this to, into this in a second. Maybe it's a tear. Or maybe it's just like this, the shaking in your body because, because you're engaging with God, the creator of the universe. Okay. Uh, next slide, please. Not only is it helpful to understand why and how we worship God, it's also helpful to understand what happens when we worship God. So the, the how we worship God includes confession, thanksgiving, and praise. Or uh, do they use the word adoration. Sometimes you use like exaltation, jubilation, adoration. These things kind of all can overlap. The, the shepherds are doing these things, right? Uh, you can imagine them skipping around and raising their hands and whatever. But uh, understanding these phases is helpful in our experience of God. Keep in mind that as we pass through these phases, we are headed toward one goal, intimacy with God. This is the heart of worship intimacy with God. So what is intimacy? I define intimacy as belonging to or revealing one's deepest nature to another, in this case to God, and it is marked by close association, presence, and contact. So there's this thing about when we worship, like last week, attention goes on God, in excelsis Deo, not me, 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 but it's me in relationship to God and just pouring out our hearts to God, whether that be our pain, uh, petition, like we're asking God to like come and do something for us, or we're saying I love you, right? This is these are ways that we worship, and it's marked by oops, sorry, go back. Like presence and contact, it's the relationship. So if you think about intimacy with another person, there's an exchange that's happening. There's um, there's appreciation and love and attention aimed at the other person and it's and it's 
returned, right? Like we know that God's posture toward us is loving, affection, kindness, like because of who Jesus is, right? And, and it's as we worship, we're returning that. We're interacting with God in a personal way. And so next slide. These are the phases. So the first phase is the call to worship, which is a message directed toward people. It's an invitation to worship. We typically do this on the front end of our service. So um, the first song we sing, even if it's not overtly in words, it's like this is, we're calling people into this space. So we sang uh, Angels We Have Heard on High, which is interesting because that's actually what the angels are doing in the story. They're saying, come, look, there's something to see over here. It's God <laughs> in a manger. Like, you know, it used to be uh, an Ark of the Covenant, and this now it's a manger, and there's a baby. It's not this cloud. It's a baby. Like, come and see. Like, there's a call to worship. And so we do that every Sunday. Next slide. Engagement, which is the electrifying dynamic of connection to God and to each other. Expressions of love, adoration, praise, jubilation, intercession, and petition come from one's heart. So this is where I'm really sharing, like, when we come, we come with our hearts open. And we worship God through words of, or expressions of love. So I think, I looked at the set, and now I don't, I'm a little unclear, but like, so many of the songs we sing at the vineyard are, I love you, I love you, I need you, right? Um, these are expressions from our heart to him. Sorry, can you go back to that? I'll, I'll just call for the next slide when I'm ready. Okay, here we are. Uh, petition. Petition, like, we've been singing this song, Come Along Expected Jesus. And that's actually a pretty interesting song because it's like different de- levels Come along, expected Jesus is actually an intercession. Like, God, come now. Come again. We need you. Uh, From our sin to save us, like, that's both saying you did that. Like, we're praising his deeds that he did long ago. And we need that. We're praising you for what you're doing right now. Like, you're active in the world, God. And this, this, you are great because of it. Um. These things come from one's heart. And in the engagement phase, we praise God for who he is through music as well as prayer. Next slide, please. As we move further into the engagement phase, we move more and more into the loving and intimate language. Being in God's presence excites our hearts and minds, and we want to praise him for the deeds he has done, for how he has moved in history, and for his character and attributes. So, like, whenever we sing the doxology... Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's what we mean by his character and attributes. Like part of who God is, is all the blessings we have come from him. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. This is who God is. Like this is an exclamation, a declaration of we believe in a God that is triune, like that has existed from before all creation and into all eternity in this dynamic dance of love because of the relationship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Next slide, please. Jubilation, exaltation, or, uh, you know, like this is is where we're getting to um, kind of this more expressive idea, is that heart swell within us which we want to exalt him. The heart of worship is to be united with the creator and with the church, universal and historic. Remember, worship 
is going on all the time in heaven, and when we worship, we are joining that which is already happening. Next slide. Only this intimacy calls only this intimacy causes us to meditate even as we are singing on our relationship with the Lord. God might call to our mind disharmony or failure in our lives. Thus confession of sin is involved, or tears may flow as we see our disharmony, but his harmony, or our limitations, but his unlimited possibilities, right? We're bringing our limited selves, our broken selves, our fearful selves, our shamed selves, and we're, we're coming into the presence of a God, and we engage with him, and then, and then there's a response. Like, as we sing, as we come into a place of intimacy, there's a response. This phase in which we have been weakened to, or wakened to his presence is called expression. So expression is what's flowing out of us in these moments. Next slide. Visitation, this is the next step. So where are we at in this? We're called to worship, engagement. Uh, third was, I have so many words in my head right now. What did we just do? <laughs> Expression, thank you. Now visitation. Visitation is a byproduct of worship. We don't worship in order to gain his presence. He is worthy to be worshiped whether or not he visits us. But God dwells in the praises of his people. So we should always come to worship prepared for an audience with the king and we should expect the spirit of God to work among us. He moves in different ways, sometimes for salvation, sometimes for deliverance, sometimes for sanctification or for healing. God also visits us through his prophetic gifts. So like when we're doing ministry time, and we'll do that here in a minute, we're actually, we believe that God is going to come and give us insights that are prophetic to pray for people or to ask for God's healing, okay? Next slide. Ministry is a life of giving. This is the fifth phase. We give our whole life. God should have ownership of everything. Whatever I need to give, God inevitably first calls me to give it when I don't have any of it, whether it is money, love, hospitality, or information. Whatever God wants to give through us, he first has to do to us. We are the first partakers of the fruit, but we are not to eat the seed. We are to sow it to give away. Next slide. So these are the, these are the five phases, okay? You can see how actually, I mean, I think this is just pretty incredible. This, this all happens to the shepherds, like not in order, right? So first the angels show up and they're called into the presence of God. Then they show up into the stable. Now again, I want, just take a moment, imagine what it might be like to step through that door. Nothing you expected other than what the angels just said, but all of your hope is living inside that little room. There must have been, I mean, can you, so many levels of both reverence and joy and peace. Imagine what it would have been like to walk into that room with Jesus, the baby. What would have your response been? Like it would have been this, I think it would have been a moment of engagement, of worship, of intimacy that led to what they do when they, you know, they go around and they, they're like, Rejoicing, praising God, right? They're uh, they're expressing that worship, and in between there, they actually they do and they go into that giving space. Like they're not giving treasures like the wise men did. They go out and they tell the good news 
around the town. This is, this is part of their worship. <laughs> They're telling everyone they meet about the newborn king. In the visitation, of course, they, they go to visit a baby, but what actually happens in that room from an eternal perspective is God is visiting them. That is really what the whole Christmas story is about. God comes to visit us. God wants to be with us. Our response is to engage, (laughs) to open up our hearts, to bring our full selves. And we're invited. I mean, this is good news, guys. We're invited to come as we are. We don't have to clean up our life before we walk into the presence of God. We actually believe it's the reverse. Walking into the presence of God is what heals us. It's the blood of Jesus that saves us, not our act of contrition. Now, do we have to be in a place to receive? Of course we do. But we don't have to do what the high priest did. We don't have to take a bath first. I mean, I would appreciate if you took actual baths before you came to church, but you don't, you don't have to take, make sure that you've got all your kind of spiritual affairs in order. Like, I'll, I'll come into the presence of God once I know that my heart is good and I'm doing it for the right reasons or that my worship is pure and I really mean it. No. You come as you are. You come in your humanness. You come with an open heart to pour out whatever's inside. If you've ever read through the book of Psalms, this, uh, this, the big one in the middle, the Psalms, this would have been Jesus' songbook. There's so many expressions of pain and loneliness and sadness that are, lead up to moments of exaltation or jubilation or praise of Uh, praising God for his deeds, for his past salvation, asking God to come and save us now and and acknowledging like he's the only one who can do it. He is the one with the ability to save us. We do not have it ourselves. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.